Well, good morning. It is great to be back with everybody this morning. Uh, If you'll join me, we'll just go ahead and open up in prayer, and then we'll uh, dive into what God's Word has to say to us this morning. I'm having some technical difficulties back here. Yeah, grab my pants. All right, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. So, Father God, you are so good. God, we just come before you, and God, we're, we're just thankful just for Henry and Shirley and the talent that you've given them and just their, their willingness to uh, just come and encourage us through song. God, we just thank you just for um, this body of believers that we're able to come together and, God, sing praises to you. And, God, I pray that we be encouraged by seeing one another. And, God, not just um, be encouraged by the sight, but, God, may we actually come together, lift one another up. And, God, may we just be your body body of believers in everything that we do. God, we thank you just for Jesus, for paving the way for us to be able to be in relationship with you so that as we come before you and open up our hearts, God, we know that you have a word to speak to us and that we can hear from you. And so God, I just pray that we open our hearts. God, that whatever distractions might be going on, whatever stresses or trials or whatever it is, God, that is going to be trying to pull our focus from you in this moment, God, help us to calm our spirits so that we can focus on you. And God, speak through me. Let the words of my mouth just be your words and your truth so that you can receive the glory and the honor in everything that is said and done. And God, may we just be faithful. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So I've shared some of my history uh, in times before, and so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail with it, but the grand scope of it all is I never planned to be doing what I'm doing right now. I actually remember taking speech class in college and uh, going back a couple years earlier when I was in third grade, my third grade English teacher said he is going to be an author. And I thought that's the funniest thing ever. I hate writing. I hate doing all that stuff. Like, no, it's not going to happen. I'm going to do the bare minimum. And then I remember being in speech class and sitting there and it's like, I am never, ever going to have to use what I'm learning right now. Like, I'm never going to have to talk in front of people. I'm never going to have to really prepare a speech because I want to be a physical education teacher. And so we're just going to throw dodgeballs at each other and play games all day long. So I'm going to talk to kindergartners, which is at that time and maybe still today, my mental level. I mean, it was like kindergartners and I, we relate really well with each other. It's like, you want to play tag? Yeah, let's go. You're it. And then I can't catch a kindergartner. But it's just like, I said, I'm never going to do that. And then God in his humor and God in his just amazing plan made me become a youth minister. And I remember being a youth minister and being like, okay, I can, I can do this, but God, I'm never going to preach a sermon. And then God was like, hey, actually, I want you to preach a sermon. Okay, God, I will preach one sermon, but I'm not going to preach more than one in a year. And he's like, well, let's bump it up to two. I'll do two, but I never could be a lead pastor. I never could preach 52 times in one year. And then he was like, actually, Andy, let's keep going with this. You're going to preach 52 times. Okay, but I can't do 104. I could never do morning and evening. That's not going to happen. And like God just continually is like, watch, watch what you say, Andy, because when you say never, I'm going to say, uh-huh, let me show you. And I share that because everything through this, God has been telling me when I've been saying, God, there is no way that would ever happen. God's like, watch. 
how I'm going to work through you, how I'm going to give you the ability to do it. Because every time I come up here and you guys understand anything I say, that's a miracle from God right there. I mean, anytime this foot does not go in my mouth, it's God working right there. It's just like when I talk out of here, it's horrible. But when I get up here, somehow God works through me. And it's all praise to God. But I share that with you because we're going through this series. That's not in the Bible. And our, our, our statement for the day is God won't give you more than you can handle. That God will not give you anything beyond what you can handle. And so I share that because I thought every time, God, I can't handle preaching in front of people. God, I can't handle it every week. I can't handle it twice a week. I can't handle it three times a week. And every time, God was like, watch, and I'll show you. And we get this statement from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and it is actually in the Bible. And so as I was preparing this and I saw this statement, it's like, wait a minute, it is in the Bible. But I feel like it's not in the way that we share it all the time. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So there's our statement. God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so really right there, God's word says that you will not be tempted beyond your ability. But I feel like there should be a disclaimer in there. That is not what we can handle on our own. That too often we're trying to think, I can't handle this. I can't do this. Or too often we go the other way where it's like, I got this. I don't need any help. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm able to fight this temptation. I'm able to fight this sin. I'm able to go through this trial, go through this struggle on my own because God won't give me more than I can handle by myself. And so I don't need anybody else. And so then we start internalizing everything. We start isolating ourselves, and we don't use the tools that God has given us to be able to fight temptation and to be able to fight through struggles. Because I believe that there are people who are not believers who have things that they can't handle. And I believe there's things that Christians have that we can't handle alone. I believe the key word is alone but that we need other things. And so my answer to this statement is it's true somewhat that God won't give you anything beyond your ability as long as we rely on Christ, as long as our ability is found in him, not in our own self. Because just think about it. Whenever you think I can handle this, I can do this, who are you making God? Who are you putting all the focus on? It's yourself. It's like, I can get through this on my own. And so we don't pray. We don't rely on God. We don't go to the sources of help that God has given us. And then a lot of times, actually, pretty much every time I have relied on myself, it has spiraled out of control because I can't handle it. We must rely on God. And so God has given us three things, I believe, to help us through temptations, trials, struggles, persecution, whatever it is. God has given us three clear things 
to help us through that so that we can say, God hasn't given me anything beyond my ability because of these three things. And the first one is what we have right here this morning. His church. God has given us a fellowship of believers to help us through difficult times. So often, and I'm very guilty of it, this week even, I was going through just some mental struggles and everything, and it's like, I got this, I can do this on my own, and I needed to open up to other people to find true help. So often we're like, I cannot let the church know about my struggles because then they'll judge me. So I'm going to try and get through this on my own and we get beat down and beat down and beat down. And it's like, if only I could tell somebody. And this is who we should tell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Dale mentioned it last week. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, Why are you taking your legal matters outside of the church when you should be able to take it to the church? Because they are the ones that will be judging angels. They are the ones that you should be entrusting everything to. And yet, so many times, it's like, no, I'm going to go see somebody outside of the church. I'm going to go reveal this to somebody else. And this body of believers, should be a tight-knit group. We should be able to go to somebody and be like, hey, I am really struggling with whatever it is. Alcoholism, I'm struggling with drugs, I'm struggling with pornography, I'm struggling with trying, uh, like, having lustful thoughts, I'm struggling with cheating on my taxes, I'm struggling with depression, doubt, worry, whatever it is, we should be able to go to one another and say, I need help, because that's what God has given us one another for. And I I mentioned this to my mom even recently. We just have these conversations. And I even made the comment that, you know, uh, so often I'll go talk to a bank about my financial situations and I'll be like, I trust them, but I won't trust the church with knowing what my finances are. And it's like, that is totally wrong. Like, why would I go trust a non-believer with telling me how to spend my money, but I won't trust the people who have God's word as their authority? And mom was like, but the church isn't that way. And it's like, true, we're broken, we're sinners, we're, we're, we're going to let each other down, but that is what we should aspire for. To where people can come to one another. And yes, there's times for like biblical counsel where a professional who has spent time studying God's word. There are times where that is definitely needed. But I believe the church should be rooted in all of that. That we are the ones that people should come to for help. And they should always get biblical guidance. And so God has given us the church. Because we're told we're going to have struggles. John 16, says, in the world, you will have tribulation. We live in a fallen world. There is going to be heartache and disaster coming. But he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus is talking to Peter and he tells Peter, hey, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. There is something powerful about what we do. When we come together as the body of Christ, at least there should be, there should definitely be something powerful when we come together. And so God has given us the church, Galatians 6, 2, clear as day, Paul tells us, bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens. So that means that when somebody comes to you with a difficulty, we don't just, oh, I'm sorry to hear that and walk off, but instead we help them through it. 
We walk with them through it. We talk with them through it. We do whatever is in our ability to help them bear that burden. We don't cast stones. We don't like tear them down, but instead we help them out. We bear one another's burdens because Paul then says, in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. And Paul knew what this was like. He was thrown in prison and he wrote the letter to the church in Philippi. And that is the letter of joy. While he's in prison, he's able to say, because of what you guys are doing, I'm able to find joy. Like it it brings joy to my heart that you guys are walking in the faith. That you guys are caring for one another. And then he says, rejoice in everything. I'll say it again, rejoice. He continually tells them to rejoice. He's able to find joy. He's able to say, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Because it is Christ who strengthens him, not on his own power, but through Christ. And he had a body of believers that was praying for him, that was encouraging him, that was helping him out. And so he was able to write the letter that is called the book of joy, the book of Philippians. And so again, this gathering of believers is not just Sunday morning and maybe Sunday night and maybe Wednesday night. It is a life commitment to each other. It should be so much more. It should be reaching out to other people. Hey, I hear you're going through something. It should be praying for one another. It should be asking hard questions. It should be relying on each other. Because I've heard it said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to just like get stuff taken care of fast, go alone. But if you really want to go the distance, go together. You've got to rely on one another. It's more than just coming in. Hey, I'm good. Hey, I'm great. All right. See you next Sunday. Bye. And on the inside, you are being torn down. On the inside, it's like, oh, I'm just hurting so much. But instead, it's opening up and sharing your burden so that we as the church can bear your burden. We're not mind readers. I mean, yes, there should be some like perception into things that's like, hey, they said they're great, but man, the Holy Spirit's working on my heart that you're not good. So I'm going to pry a little deeper into that and I'm going to like really try it. Like, hey, let's talk. Let's, let's just go talk about this. Let's get it figured out. Let's go get coffee, whatever it is. But we must do it together. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine through 10. Solomon says, two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. So again, two can go farther because if one falls, the other can lift him up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I'd say woe to a Christian who is not involved in a church who when he stumbles, he does not have a body of believers there to help lift him up and put him back on the path of Christ. Because this is a command again to the church in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. We are told, let us consider how to stir one another up to, good, uh, to love and good works. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And again, like, I mean, you don't have to open up a newspaper very much to see that things are about to just get crazy. Like things are already wild. And I think the closer and closer we get to November, it's going to get a little crazier. And then after November, I don't even want to really think about that. But the church is going to have to be strong. 
Because I don't know what's going to happen, but I mean, look at the coast. Like in California, you have churches who are being shut down and churches who are being like fined thousands of dollars a day. And so what will happen if they say, Center Christian Church, you guys need to close your doors altogether? Is it like, well, I guess we don't have church anymore. What happens if some of us get arrested because of our faith? Are we going to be together through that? And I know we always go to like, well, in that worst case scenario, well, it starts in little scenarios here and now today. It's, it's not like someday we'll be ready to help each other, but that's not today. It has to be today. We have to care for one another here and now. And I believe Center Christian Church is amazing at this. I mean, I truly do. Like, I believe we could have testimony after testimony. Um, Excuse me, Shirley just mentioned it real briefly, that we encourage her. We have been there for their family who has gone through difficult times. And they could give testimony about how important this church is to them getting through those times. So many other people could give testimony of us being there. And so we are doing a good job at it, but we're not finished. So don't think, all right, we can hit cruise control now and just kind of coast. No, we have to, as Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, excel all the more. Don't call it good enough. Don't be like, well, I talked to one person. I met my quota. Continue to reach out to people. Continue to reach out to one another. Because there is something special and something powerful when God's people come together. It's not the same as a concert. It's not the same as a motivational conference. It's not the same as a sports, sports thing, whatever that's called, event. It is so much more powerful. Why? Because of the second thing that Christ has given us as a, 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 a weapon of attack towards temptation, as a, a thing that we rely on, and that's God's word. Because the church should be rooted in God's word. Everything we say, when somebody comes to us and is like, hey, I need help in this, we should always point back to God's word. We should be able to point them to God's word. So the church is strong because of the cornerstone that we rely on, which is Jesus Christ. And we find out about him in his word. We must know what his word says. Every single one of us is a counselor of some form. Every single one of us is a disciple and every single one of us is a mentor of some form. You can't get out of it. If you have given your life over to Christ, you are now called to go and disciple somebody else. But the thing is, is that Satan's going to try and attack us. Satan's going to try and morph God's word. I mean, just look at the first sin. With Adam and Eve, the first sin on earth, where Satan takes what God says and tries to twist it. He tries to say, hey, that's not really what God said. And so we need to be rooted in the true word of God. We must be rooted in what his word says. Jesus responded to Satan whenever Satan was attacking and tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He responded with Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 where Jesus said, It is written because Satan said, Hey, look at this rock. Man, Jesus, you've been fasting for 40 days. Aren't you hungry? Look at this rock. You could command it to become bread and it would become bread. Don't you want to do that? Doesn't that look good, Jesus? And Jesus responded, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
We must be rooted in God's word as a church and also as individuals. This should not be your meal for the week of God's word. But every single day, you should be in God's word because that is how you are going to be able to fight temptation. That is how you are going to be able to stand against whatever Satan throws at you. Because again, the armor of God in Ephesians, we're told there's so many parts of the armor. The one offensive part is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We go on the offensive. Jesus said, hey, it is not on bread alone that we live, but on every word that God speaks. And so we must know how to use scripture. We must know that when temptation comes our way, we have an index roll of scripture that we can just flip through and be like, oh man, you know, like uh, just going to go like pornography, looking at somebody lustfully. It's like, hey, it's really not hurting anybody. And yet we have a passage that comes to mind that says, I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to think about that because I'm going to be pure. And then we have, you know, the world is really going to say, well, if you really love them, just sleep with them. You know, really, what is marriage anyways? It's a certificate. That's it. Just love them, sleep with them. And yet we know that in 1 Thessalonians, God says, do not wrong your brother in this way. And then the scary part, the Lord is an avenger of such things. And so, I mean, until that person becomes your wife, they are your brother's wife because you don't know if you're going to marry them until you say, I do. And so you live according to God's scripture. But the world is going to try and pull you away from that. It's going to be like, yeah, but really, really God wants you to be happy. No, that is so wrong. God wants himself to be glorified. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And the world is going to tempt us. So we need to know what Christ's word says. Because Paul tells the church in Corinthians in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take thought, take every thought captive to obey Christ. We do that by being in God's word. So whenever we read the word of God, we must remember this is the word of God. This is how we find out about God. Yes, you can learn about God through creation, but this is God's revelation to us about who he is and what he desires for us. We're told in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it is inspired. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture. The new thing is to say, hey, that part's not. No, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you want to be equipped for good work, if you want to be complete, apply God's word to your life. But the way to apply it is to be in it. You have to study it. You have to read it. So the word of God is inspired. It is able to penetrate to our deepest parts. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So often a lot of our sins, a lot of our temptations come internally where we think, oh, nobody's going to know about this. Look at that second part, verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight. You can't sin and God not know about it. 
And that should be the biggest, like, heartbreak to us. Not that, man, I sinned against my future wife or I sinned against this person, but that I sinned against a holy God. That should break our hearts. So it penetrates to our deepest parts. It's where we find tr- truth. John seventeen seventeen. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So if you want to know where truth is, and my goodness, it is so hard to find truth in a world of fake news and everything like that. You look at God's word and you will find truth. And it will never fade away. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass wither, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Just think of how many times they have tried destroying the Bible. How many times they have tried to get rid of it, and yet it comes back stronger and harder. The places that it actually comes back stronger and harder is the places that they try and get rid of it. Where it's like, no, we're going to try and kill Christianity, and Christianity just explodes there. Whereas places that it's easy for Christians, it seems to be dying away. Because maybe we're relying on ourselves way too much, and not on God enough. And then lastly, God's word is the guide for our life. Psalm 119 verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? So young men, how can you stay pure? By guarding it according to God's word. And then verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you want to live a pure life, guard your life according to the word of God. It should be the filter that everything goes through. Everything should run through God's word. So whenever we're going through difficult times, we must rely on the word of God to help us get through it. Before we listen to society, before we listen to so-called professionals, before we listen to anything else, we listen to God's word first. And if anything does not point to God's word, I would say we don't listen to it. We just say, thanks for that opinion. Now give me truth out of what God's word says, because that is how I am going to base my life. And so the, the things that we are able to rely on is the church. We're able to rely on the word of God. And then lastly, God has given us his spirit. When you receive Christ, it's so crazy. When you receive Christ, Jesus enters into your life. Like he works inside of your mind. He is your conscience. He is the one that just kind of guides you in ways that I can't even really explain. But God enters into your life. If you have been born again, his spirit lives within you. Romans 8 verse 11, it tells us, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And that, that verse just kind of like is like, wow. Like we can read through it real, real quick, but like, let's dwell on that for a minute. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. So we have the spirit that conquered death. We have the spirit living inside of us that conquered the grave. And then Paul tells us that spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. But we have to realize it. We have to, to rely on it. Because there's a battle inside us. There's the story of the two wolves and um, uh, uh, 
chief told his son about it. And there's two wolves. One is hatred and anger and bitterness and all these negative things. And the other is love and peace. And I mean, we'll just say it's the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And he says this battle is going on between you of evil, the flesh, and of life, the spirit. And the young uh, grandson says to his granddad, which one is going to win? And the granddad says, the one that you feed. And so are we giving in to anger and hatred and bitterness and resentment? Or are we saying, God, you are in charge of my life. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to feed into your spirit. I'm going to submit to it. That's how I feed into it. By giving ourselves as living sacrifices. So God, here I am. I offer all of me to you. Take and do as you will. And so this is the strength that we need to rely on for this is what will get us through anything. This is how we are going to be able to resist temptation. First John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Genesis eighteen fourteen. God says whenever he promises Sarah at a ripe old age of 99 years old, he promises Sarah, you are going to have a child. And she's like, ha, right. And in Genesis 18, 14, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? We must rely on God. We must trust that he will get us through it. Because too often I don't rely on Christ. Too often it's like, nope, God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to do it my own way. Too often too many people are doing that. And then we start, again, going through that spiral because, again, pride makes us think I can handle it. And so we always say, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's like, all right, I, I am strong. You know, Joel Osteen, he came out with the power of the I am. I am capable. I am powerful. I am strong. I am whatever the rest of them are. And it's like, no, I'm weak. I am unable. I am not strong enough, but he who lives in me is strong. And so I'm going to rely on his strength. Paul told us this very thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had a thorn in his side and he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Not that I'm strong, not that I'm able, not that I'm good enough, but instead that I am weak, that I am insufficient so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I realize I cannot get this through my, I cannot get through this on my own, but God, I need you. Then I am strong. Then I am able to get through it when I am totally dependent on Christ. And it is possible through faith. That faith, faith that God is with us. I mean, look at the second half of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And you have like Abraham, you have Noah, you have Moses, you have all of these great like heroes of the faith. You have uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who walked through the fire. And then it's like, yeah, that's where it's going to get me. Like they all went through it. They did great. But then Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, it says things didn't work out so great for everybody. 
according to this earth. Uh, verse 36, All others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be able to be made perfect. And so they kept the faith in Christ. They said, you can cut me in half. My faith is in Jesus. Not in what I can do, but in Jesus. You can take my home. You can take my land. You can take all my freedoms. I'm going to stand firm in Jesus because they were rooted in Christ. They kept the faith knowing that God was with them and that he was to be praised whether they live or whether they die. Whether they die. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so you can take it all. Jesus is who I am going to live for. And so no matter what we are going through, we must always remind ourselves God is faithful because that's going to be the temptation that's going to come in. God's not really for you. God's not really with you right now. God's not really going to help you out in this time. And so we recall to mind the word of God. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. our passage said, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And then it says, God is faithful. 100% of the time, God is faithful. Even when we don't see it, God is faithful. Even when we don't feel it, God is faithful. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Jeremiah writes this, and he has seen his people hauled off. He has seen his family be persecuted, killed, raped, lose their land, be put in bondage, be put in slavery. It's like that is a horrible thing to see. And Jeremiah says this. He says, but this I call to mind because all of Lamentations up to this point has pretty much just been this This. Lamentations, this lamenting, this sorrow, this heaviness. And then he says, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Even though things have a horrible outlook, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, my, my countrymen, my loved ones are being taken away. They're losing their life. But God, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so I don't know what is coming forward this week. I don't know if we're going to get to continue to be a free country this week or if we lose all freedoms. I don't know if some of us are going to face imprisonment for our faith or even if we're just going to face persecution for our faith. I don't know what's going to come this week. I'd like to say I hope it's a great week for everybody, but I don't know that. But what I do know is that whatever comes, God is faithful. And that if we don't rely first on the indwelling spirit, on the word of God, and on God's people, it is going to be extremely hard to get through it. If we rely only on ourselves, we're going to get discouraged. We're going to get downtrodden. And so we must come together, not just wait until everything hits the fan, but now we are called to be the body of Christ, encouraging one another daily. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. 
And so whatever comes our way, God is faithful. And so yes, God will not give you more than you can handle as long as you rely on him. But as I was thinking about this, I got to thinking, there is one thing that we can't handle. There is one thing, I don't care how hard you try, I don't care, no matter what, even if you're like, hey, actually, I can get through that on my own, Um, you probably can't, but maybe you can, I don't know. There's one thing nobody will ever be able to get through on their own, and that is the ability to find salvation on our own. That is the ability to earn our salvation. No matter what, no matter I am strong, I am spiritual, I am a regular attender, I'm religious, whatever you are hinging your salvation on, if it's not Jesus, it's going to fall apart. It's going to just completely get destroyed. Jesus is the only thing that we hold on to. We can never measure up because God has set a standard. And that standard is perfection, holiness, completely and perfectly obey every command that God has given us. Nobody can do that. And so Jesus didn't say, okay, you guys, you're pretty bad. So I'll lower the bar. So maybe you can get just one, one rung above and then you'll be able to do it. He said, no, the standard is perfection. That's always going to be the standard. But he said, I will give my life for you. So that now it's not on being perfect, but it's on my perfect life and my perfect blood covering over you. That's what Jesus gave us. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So nobody can achieve that. No matter what, we'll always fall short. And then my two favorite words, but God gave his son so that now we don't rely on our strivings. We don't rely on our own ability We rely that Jesus gave his life for us and then we have the hope that we too will raise from the dead because when Jesus raised from the dead or rose from the dead, God accepted that payment. And so we have a hope of being raised from the dead as well. So we walk freely in his grace. We walk freely in a relationship with him. And we can't, no matter how much. It's not like, well, Andy, you don't know how good of a person I really am. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But eternal life is offered today. So that you can say confidently, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Scale of 1 to 10, if you die today, how certain are you that you would be in heaven? My answer is a 10, solely because it is found in Jesus Christ. It's not a 10 because I'm up here preaching a message. It's not a 10 because I read my Bible so many minutes this week. It's not a 10 because I said so many prayers. It is a 10 because Jesus is my hope and everything else flows from Jesus being my hope. He's what I'm going to stand to. And so we can have eternal life starting here and now because Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God wants a relationship with you. God wants to take the burden of whatever you are going through and to place it on him. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me, stop striving, stop trying to carry it all on your own, rely on me. 
And then when you do, I give you my indwelling spirit. I give you my word, which is true. And I give you my people. You get to become a part of something so powerful that Jesus said the gates of hell will not be able to stand against this and look at what has happened. Brenda sent an email and it, we had it on the prayer request before, but in the last two months, 500 Christians, where is it, Brenda? Ethiopia, 500 Christians in the last two months have lost their lives to Muslims just going door to door and killing them on the spot. But yet I'm sure that church is going to grow. The faith there is going to grow because they are relying on Christ. What happens if that would come here? Are we going to be found relying on Christ saying, take my life. I don't care for me to live. It's Christ. But for me to die, man, it is so much more because I have eternal life found in Jesus alone. Father God, we thank you just that you have given us your son, God, so that we can rely on him. But God, so often we don't. So often we don't look to your word for answer. So often we don't rely on the power of your spirit within us to fight temptation. And God, so often we don't trust your people. Because God, we have failed over and over as a church, as a body, as leadership, whatever it is, God, we are fallen human beings and we do fall short. But God, I pray that we strive to live as your people so that God, as people come and hear your truth and God, as they give their life over to you, we don't say, yay, good job and call it good. But God, that we walk with them and point them to you in everything that we do. And God, I pray that if there be anybody here this morning, maybe they're a Christian and they're not relying on you. They're trying to get through this life on their religious achievements or on their social status, whatever it is, God, point them back to you. Give them the ability. God, I pray even humble them so that they rely on you. And God, if there be anybody here who is not living for you, for whatever reason, they don't believe you or they don't really trust you, God, the way that you can speak to their heart and show them that you are God. God, I pray that you just speak to everybody here and now in the way that you are able to do and we entrust it over to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.